It's another take of BuddyCast. I'm here with my new buddy, Alan Austin. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Absolutely. Why don't you tell our uh, our audience about yourself a little bit? Um, well, I'm a, a British actor. Um, <clears throat> been in the, the business for 41 years now, although I did take a break of about 10 years um, in the early part of this century. But um, I'm best known for The Empire Strikes Back and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, mm. which were, you know, well, the Raiders of the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back was my first uh, first paid job um, as an actor, and that led on to Raiders various reasons, which maybe we can come to during the interview. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite well known here in uh, the UK um, for uh, my, my British television appearances, which ran through the 1980s into the 1990s and the beginning of this century. Um, and then I, I took a, a, a break, um, which lasted for about 10 years. Um, mm. But uh, fortunately, because of um, Star Wars, um, I, I'm now being asked to take lead roles in, in short films in the UK. Um, I've done, I've got three behind me so far and, uh, uh, well, a few lined up, um, but they're all dependent on COVID-19, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about Star Wars a little bit. You yep. were in um, The Empire Strikes Back, correct? You said? Yep, yep. Who did, um, what characters did you play in that movie? I played five. Um, I played. For, I'm taking my glasses off because they're giving <laughs> me a reflection. Um, I don't see very well without them, but you know they are they are affecting and distracting me a little bit. Um, well, I played um, I played five characters in The Empire Strikes Back, um, predominantly the stormtrooper, but uh, I played a Hoth, Hoth rebel, um, a snowtrooper, a Bespin guard, a an ex-wing pilot, and uh, the stormtrooper. Beautiful. Did I see in one of the photos correctly? You were one of the stormtroopers that like arrested Han Solo when they put him into that uh, that box or the into the carbonator. Yeah, yes. that was myself and John Mogridge. Um, yeah, we were we were picked out to do that scene. Beautiful. We've been working on the film for several months by that time, and uh, John and I had both built up a rapport with the lead cast, obviously with, with Harrison Ford. Mark and uh, and Carrie, dear Carrie, and mm-hmm. um, the uh, <laughs> the first assistant director um, was a chap called David Tomlin, um, who was the late David Tomlin, but um, was one of the most respected first assistants in movies, and um, was a a highly respected television director here in the UK. He directed some very famous um, television series, but he would, he would, uh, you know, he'd, he'd first on movies and he probably made more money out of firsting on movies than he did a <laughs> director in, in British TV. But yeah, yeah, he was a really great guy. And uh, he, we, John and I got on very, very well with him uh, as did everybody. And, uh, you know, Dave, so, you know, suggested that, that they use John and I to um, 
manhandle Harrison into the, the carbonator. And uh, Harrison Ford was uh, quite happy, you know, to work with us two so closely because, you know, as I said, we built up a rapport, a rapport with him. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that we were friends, but mm. certainly we had a good working relationship on set. Mm -hmm. That brings me into my next question. What was it like working with, you know, people like uh, Harrison Ford or um, Mark Hamill, even Carrie Fisher? Did you get to, you obviously met Harrison, as you mentioned, but did you get to meet like any other of the big shots in the movie? Yeah, every single one of them. Um, mm. Loads of great conversations on set. Um, got them, you know, we're, I mean, I, I, this was my first movie. I'd done a little bit of theatre beforehand. I've, between, you know, during my career, I've done a lot of theatre. And, you know, you, um, you know, you become a company, a company of actors. And that's what happened on The Empire Strikes Back. We became a company. And, um, you know, I often refer to my old friends from those days that were, you know, other small, you know, small part characters in, in that movie that we went on to do lots of other work together. And now that we all, you know, sign a guest at conventions um, around the world, mm -hmm. um, we call ourselves a band of brothers, which is what we are in a way. Um, you know, we are, you know, none of us have ever been to war, but we are like a, uh, we're like veterans. We're like, we're like, you know, war veterans now, even though, you know, <laughs> we've never fired a shot in anger. Um, there is a closeness between us. We are close knit. And when we meet up at conventions, the years have just fall, just, they just fall away. You know, um, it's, we're, it's, we're back in those days. Um, I, you know, John Mogridge, who was, say, the other stormtrooper with me, um, we, we put, you know, hand in the, the, the carbon, carbonite together. We, were, we speak every week on the phone. We, we spoke last night mm. on the phone. Uh, we've been friends. We, we met on the set of, of Empire, and we've been friends ever since. So it's 41 years of friendship now. And, wow. Uh, you know, we're, we're close buddies. That's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. So you do still keep in touch with everybody. You still, yeah. uh, you still have that close connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John Mogridge especially. Um, we... we we speak every week on the phone. We meet up occasionally. We we actually met up a couple of weeks ago. Derek Lyons, who was um, the medal bearer in A New Hope, um, we talk regularly on the phone. We haven't actually met up with each other for the whole of this year, and that is due to coronavirus. Otherwise, we would have met up at least twice. Um, but, you know, all of us, you know, I don't know if you recognize any of these names from conventions or, you know, their characters in, in the original trilogy, but Peter Ross, um, you know, Chris Parsons, uh, Chris Bunn, uh, David Stone and a few others. We all, we all stay in, con in contact with each other on a regular basis oh. and a few other names in there as well. You know, Pam Rose, um, uh, Kathy Munro to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, we're, we're all in touch. That's beautiful. That's when you know it's a true project, you know, when you're all still chatting today, even though it's been like all that time apart, you know? Well, it's a very special time. I mean, you know, um, John and I discuss it, you know, we, we don't, 
it's like, you know, you, you make friends at school or in college and, you know, you think they're going to be lifetime buddies and they don't. Um, and I certainly have nothing in common with anyone that I ever went to school or college with. But with the movie business, that's different. This mm -hmm. was a bunch of men and women, uh, guys and girls that were, you know, all had a, a common interest. It's that we, we wanted to be in the movie business. We loved our time in the movie business. And that's what we, that's our bond. That's what we have in common. And now, of course, with the, the conventions, um, that's made that, that close-knit community even stronger. Um, you know, because it's, that's what we do. Um, mm -hmm. And here we are all these years later. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know. Most definitely. Now, you mentioned conventions. How often, before COVID and all that, how often um, did you make those appearances? Well, I started them in 2016 um, through Derek Lyons. Um, Derek and I found each other on the internet. We hadn't seen each other uh, since the 1990s. Uh, we found each other on, you know, on social media and the internet. And uh, Derek said to me, hey, you know, do you, do you know about the conventions? Uh, no, didn't have a clue about them. Um, I, I'd left the business and, you know, there, a rumor had gone around that I'd died. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that occurred, but there were several photographs of me on set on the Empire. And, you know, it, it, a rumor just stopped because no one had, you know, people knew that I had a television career, which I walked away from. And um, a rumor just because so many people had passed away. And, you know, the rumour mill started, it was of Alan Austin, he died, didn't he? And this is what Derek said to me, is it the is that you, you're dead? I said, well, no, I'm very much alive, but, you know, I'm not in the business anymore. So, you know, he, Derek really helped me in, uh, in getting my name out there that actually this is Alan Austin, he's still here. <clears throat> and, you know, get him along to your convention. And the similar thing happened with... Um, John Mogridge, we'd lost contact with each other for many years. Um, you know, in those days, if you look back at the 1980s, there was no internet, there were no mobile phones. You know, a laptop, what's a bloody laptop? You know, um, it, 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 it was so easy to lose contact. You know, if you lost someone's phone number or if they moved or whatever. And that's kind of, you know, what happened. And uh, John, um, was at a family party, family gathering. And one of his uh, relatives is a film student. And uh, they're at this party and this, this relative of John said to him, you know, hey, John, you know, uh, you, you, you worked on in the Star Wars movies. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Do you know Alan Austin? He said, yeah, he was a great buddy of mine. I, 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 I don't know what's happened to him. He said, well, he's actually back and he's just made this film salient minus 10 and I've seen it and it's great. And I'm a huge fan of the director and producer. Um, and John was like, fiddled. And he said, well, you know, where can I, how can I find him? And, you know, uh, this relative said, well, he's, he's on social media. So, you know, John got himself on there, found me, um, wrote to me and of course we exchanged numbers and, same thing. I said, well, you know, I'm doing these conventions now. Uh, and John was, well, what, what are these conventions? So 
I kind of did the same thing for John that Derek Lyons had done for me. And uh, the three of us now, we're, we're all bosom buddies and uh, we, we try to do conventions together. But yeah, I mean, it, it started off quite well in 2016. I did a, I did a few and I did the, uh, the London Film Convention at Olympia, which is the biggest one in the UK, actually the biggest one in Europe. Um, so, you know, I did that in that year, but I did two smaller ones as well. And then 2017, the, the, the snowball began to build. And by 2018 into 2019, I was really doing a lot um, in the UK and in Europe. And now there's interest in me going to America. Um, I've, I've, I'm booked for a convention in Los Angeles in December. Um, but again, with COVID-19, everything that I had booked for this year has been cancelled or postponed till next year because of coronavirus. I actually did one at the beginning of this year, well, in early February in Germany, which was organized by the showmasters, uh, which organized the London Film Convention, you know. Um, they've also organized this one in Los Angeles. So yeah, it's been a real blip this year. It's, it's strange. Um, so far I've survived it, so far so good. Mm -hmm. But hopefully when we can get over this, then uh, we can get back to normal next year and, and following on. So, yeah, I'm really hoping, you know, John and I are now known because of what we did on Empire Strikes Back. We are known as double signers. So if we do a convention together, we're sat next to each other and people bring their various items for us to sign and we double sign. Um, so, you know, that's brilliant. And, and two conventions that were supposed to have gone ahead this year actually we're building sets of the carbon chamber and john and i actually agreed that yeah we'd dress up as stormtroopers if they can supply the costumes we'll dress up as stormtroopers and uh we'll we'll sit on that set and we'll you know we'll, we'll meet the fans and greet and tell stories everything else unfortunately that hasn't happened but you know we're open to it in the future and uh you know mm -hmm. if we can get to december uh, to la in december i mean as far as we're concerned we'll go you know, we'll go. If they, if they can get us out there, we'll go. Even if we have to, to quarantine when we come back. But at the moment, we don't know what's happening. Um, but yeah, we very much want to um, crack America. Uh, we know that there's a, you know, a lot of conventions over there on a yearly basis. And we'd love to do, to do as many as we can over there and, and you know, travel the States. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, if you ever do come to the United States, by all means, let us know. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I will. I'll let you know. It'll be mm -hmm. announced publicly. I mean, it's already been, been announced on social media about LA, but it's gone quiet now because mm -hmm. we still don't know. We still mm -hmm. don't know. But, you know, I've done a um, quite in with uh, Combat Radio in Los Angeles, based at Universal Studios, and we, John and I have done a few interviews with them. And we're getting involved in their their charity cheat uh, TV extravaganza in December. Um, you know, from, from what they tell us is that the governor of, of California, um, has locked down quite well. Um, he ignored president Trump, um, and, and locked down. So the outbreak hasn't been too bad there. Um, uh, as I know other States, um, it, it's pretty severe. Um, you know, particularly Arizona and Florida, I have friends in both States. 
and uh, they're, no, they're, they've gone into second lockdown, etc. Apparently, that hasn't happened in California as yet. Yeah. So fingers crossed, we can actually get out there. But yeah, I, you know, that's that's where it's at for for John and I. We just want to uh, to tour America and uh, you know tell our story. Most definitely. Now, what other projects have you worked on? You mentioned, um, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark that you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that came about directly because of Empire Strikes Back. You know, I finished work on on ESB in September of 79. I then went to work on Flash Gordon, Superman 2, The Elephant Man. uh, Very minor, very much in the background. Um, on the Elephant Man, I was just required to react to um, just react to what was going on around and react to John Hurt as the Elephant Man. Um, but no dialogue, and you know nothing special to do other than just you know a few close-ups of reactions. I then was asked to go and do an audition in Covent Garden for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now I knew nothing about this film. Uh, this was in May of 1980. I think it was May, possibly April. I don't know. Um, so I've arrived at the, I think it was Pineapple Studios in, in Covent Garden. I've arrived there, um, gave my name. I was on the list to come in. And uh, uh, Ray Button, who was um, assistant director on, uh, on Empire Strikes Back, approached me. And, you know, we shook hands and he said, you know, hi, Al, do you remember me? I said, of course I do, Ray. You know, how's it all going? So he said, look, he said, "Um, I'm not going to ask you to do an audition. Um, As far as I'm concerned, you know, if you want to come and play on this picture, then fine. Harrison Ford has got the lead part. Uh, Steven Spielberg is directing it. It's the same production crew as uh, Empire Strikes Back. So, you know... If you want to come, it's we're shooting at Elstree. Um, you know, the job's yours. So it was as simple as that. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later, I'm down at Elstree again, working on, on Raiders as a, as, a, as a German soldier in the, yeah. um, at the opening of the Ark. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So Very- what was it? You mentioned, like, um, Steven Spielberg and all that. Did you get to interact with those legendary directors and producers like Spielberg and Lucas? Uh, Lucas never. Um, he used to come down to the set of Empire. I'm just going to plug my phone in, actually. I've noticed the Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh-huh. um, no, Lucas used to visit the, um, the set of Empire quite often. And he'd, he'd nod and say hi, but no real interaction with Certainly not with myself. I don't know if he did with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he would have done with uh, the production crew and Irving Kirshner in particular. Um, but you know, he let them get on. You know, he wasn't there to. I don't think he. You know, he, he didn't kind of wasn't throwing his weight around or anything like that. It was just like you know, just there to you know, just watch. Um, but certainly with Steven Spielberg, I mean, I just had the luckiest time um, on Raiders because uh, you know, I. I it was a strange thing. I came off of a series of, of night shoots in London. I was working on a, a television program, a uh, police drama. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Um, and I come off a series of nights 
from that. I was just playing a, a you know a London Bobby, and uh, I, I drove. The location in North London wasn't far from L Street, so I'd finished the early hours of the morning. Drove up to L Street, got there with about an hour to spare before my call time. Parked my car and you know just had a bit of a sleep in the car, and uh, then went in to you know the, the security gate, introduced myself, and they told me where to go. You know. Um, you know, to which to which stage I was due to be at. So I got to the stage. They dressed me as a, as a German soldier, um, and then I got, got onto the set. And promptly found somewhere to lay down and catch up with my sleep. Um, you know, it's first thing in the morning. There's a lot of work going on, but we're not required. Although we're on set at like seven a.m. in the morning, you know that they're not going to get to you probably till the afternoon. So, you know, I found somewhere comfortable just to sort of, you know, have a bit of a sleep. And Ray Button came over and woke me up and said, Alan, Alan, come on, wake up. I said, what, what's going on? You know, I'm 20, I was 21 years of age at the time. And he said, uh, you, you, I want you to come and meet Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, I knew Ray pretty well, obviously, from the background I've just given you. And I, I, I said, you, you, I said, you know, I was just getting some sleep, Ray. You're kidding me. Come on, don't wind me up. And he said, No, seriously, Alan. You know, I want you to come and meet Steven Spielberg. So on the way over to meet Steven, you know, I said, Well, what's this all about? You know, uh, and he said, Well, look, he said, Steven needs someone to line the shots up. You know, um, Stephen will tell you more about it when you get there, but. He needs someone to line the shots up and, you know, Stephen, myself and, and Harrison Ford were in a huddle and, uh, you know, I said to, to Harrison, well, Alan Austin's on set and uh, Harrison Ford was like, who? And he said, you know, he said, the, the, you know, that Alan from or Al from uh, Empire Strikes Back. And he's, Harrison's, oh, yeah, I remember the kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he'll be good. Yeah, Stephen, he'll, he'll be good. He knows what he's doing. You know, he'll follow direction. Yeah, he's he, yeah. So you know, I got got over there. Was introduced to Stephen, and uh, Stephen had you know this kind of storyboard lined up on a wall. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. It was it was quite new and uh, uh, innovative in those days. But each each shot was sketched out shot by shot, you know, cartoon versions. Um, on the wall by, you know, like it was like looking at a, a really great comic book. And Stephen took me through it shot, shot by shot, shot by shot. And, you know, this will be you and this is what, you know, what I'm hoping that you can do for me, blah, blah, blah. And then I spent the following week um, in front of the camera with Stephen behind it. And uh, basically, you know, show me what you're going to do. And uh, it was the death scene where we all get um, the the arc is opened, you know. We're looking into it in wonderment, and then suddenly, you know, well, if you've seen the film, you know what happens next. All hell breaks loose, and we all get blasted to Kingdom Come. So, you know, I had the week of, of, of lining that up with, with Stephen, and just small talk, uh, small talk, small talk with um, with Stephen about you know life in in Hollywood, life in you know London, you know. Um, and it, it was just fantastic. But I, I hasten to add that, you know, Stephen was at the beginning of his career then, when you think about it. I mean, you know, yes, he'd done Jaws, Blockbuster, 
Um, he'd done a few other films, which I can't really think of at the moment. He was best known for Jaws at that time. Mm-hmm. He then went off the Raiders. He then went off to do legendary classic movies. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that if at the age of 21, I'd met Stephen after he'd done all of those epic movies, I would have been incredibly nervous beyond belief. I actually wasn't on Raiders because Stephen put me at my ease. It wasn't the greatest director in the history of the world directing me. It was a highly successful, talented young man, not that much older than myself. And, you know, I have young actors, you know, say to me, oh, if I meet, if I was lucky enough to be directed by Steven Spielberg, have you any advice for me? And, and I say, well, it's difficult because, you know, if I was 21 now meeting Steven Spielberg as he is today, I, I don't know how I would have handled it. I think really just be as cool, calm and collected as I was back in those days, uh, you know, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, you know, I was very, very lucky. And uh, yeah, that 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 led on to to my career just started. It was the stepping stones, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, uh, Stephen actually spoke to me about the stepping stones, and uh, you know, he said himself, he said, "Look, you know, this is a stepping stone for you. The next one's got to be a bigger and better stepping stone. The one after that's got to be a bigger and better stepping stone, stone leading you towards your goal." Um, and what's your goal? I said, well, I'd like to be a good working actor. Um, and so it's fair enough. It's a movie star. I said, not at this point in time, you know. I just want to get out there and, you know, learn my trade, learn my craft, get better jobs and just move on from there and take each each step as it comes. That was beautiful. And that's some beautiful advice he gave you at the end, too. This is just a stepping stone. You know, a lot of people, like you mentioned before, say, like, I met Steven Spielberg. This is like the pinnacle of my career or something like mm. that. You're like, this is it. This is the, I've reached, you know, but well, like Stephen. He... Yeah, it's a strange thing. Um, uh, a, a friend of mine, I'm, I'm no longer in touch with an actor called, um, if I remember his name, uh, Chris Ragg. Uh, knew each other, we, uh, knew him for a very brief time, but, he played the uh, in the film Saving Private Ryan for the uh, the D-Day scenes on the beach. He played the guy with the flamethrower, the, the American GI with the flamethrower that, that, that gets obliterated on the beach. And he was telling me about while it while it, you know he was on that beach for a long time, <laughs> and he was watching Steven Spielberg's casting process because they were still casting while they were making the film for small part actors. And uh, it, it'd be, you know, setting up the shot for the next, you know, scene. And uh, it would be, are, are you ready to come and look at the audition tapes, Mr. Spielberg? Um, yeah, okay, I've got, I've got five minutes. Okay. And they, they'd, you know, there'd be a monitor and they would run these actors' audition tapes. And uh, there'd be like someone auditioning as a German officer, somebody else auditioning as a, as a GI or whatever. And Stephen would look at it and he'd go, show me number one again. Yeah, okay. All right. Then he'd go back to the camera, get on. Then he'd come back again, look at the monitor. 
show me number three again. Okay, okay, cast number one. And that, that was the process, which I found fascinating, but this was related to me by, by uh, you know, a guy that actually was, was in the movie. Um, yeah, pinnacle of your career. Well, um, no, Raiders is not the pinnacle of my career. Mm. Uh, it's a very significant part of my career. Um, meeting Steven Spielberg is a highlight of my life. It is a highlight of my career, um, but I'll be honest, it's not the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. What would you consider at this point the pinnacle? <clears throat> I would say my, t- my television appearances during mm-hmm. the, the 1980s into the 1990s. Um, you know, I've been incredibly lucky and, and during the, uh, on the British TV, I got to work with some real greats of British television. Uh, they're all long passed away now, um, or, or retired. And, you know, I was working with, you know, I, 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 I worked on a, a BBC, a BBC, it was Thames television drama deck documentary called Letters from a, Bom- from a Bomber Pilot in uh, the mid-1980s, and it was Hugh Laurie's um, first television acting role. Uh, mm. Hugh was playing the captain. Well, we were all playing, we were playing the crew of a, of a bomber plane, uh, RAF bomber plane, and Hugh played the captain, and I played the rear gunner, a chap called Alf Kitchen. And when I look back at that, this was Hugh Laurie, at the very, very start of his career. And Hugh and I became friendly with each other and often used to bump into each other in London. And uh, to look at Hugh's career today, um, from that very first time to how prominent he is now. I mean, it's a star. Hugh Laurie is a a movie star nowadays, as well as still being a British TV star. Experiences and memories like that are like gold, simple. Um, you know, you can't recreate that. You can't plan it. Uh, it just happens and you're just really lucky that things like that have happened. Um, you know, I look back uh, around about the same time as doing that, I did my last film as a supporting artist. Um, because I was now moving into the realms of being a scripted character in British TV. But the last film that I did was Absolute Beginners, against my agent's advice at the time. But I said to my agent, look, this film is starring David Bowie. He's my hero. I've never met him. I want to meet him. Plus, there's a good old, couple of good old friends of mine working on the movie. So I'm going to do it. And uh, that was probably the happiest film I've ever worked on in my life. I did get to meet David Bowie and had a great conversation with him. Um, You know, we didn't become buddies, but I think if we'd have had social media back in those days, the internet, email, all of that kind of thing, then we probably would have stayed in touch. Certainly, I was... was, David Bowie founded the Beckenham Arts Centre in 1968. And I was teaching at the Beckenham Arts Centre and I was telling David about that and he was fascinated. Um, But, you know, things move on, things change. But uh, Mm -hmm. no, to find a highlight of my career, it's been so long and I've done so much. I can't Mm -hmm. pin down one thing, just too much. I mean, you know, 
obviously Empire Strikes Back is a highlight, but it was my it was my playground. It was my sandpit, if you like. It was my learning place. My first movie, I worked on it for the best part of six months. Um, it's where I was learning about uh, acting for the camera, um, set etiquette, you know, conversations with all of the cast. Billy D. Williams was very helpful one afternoon when we sat there, you know, with nothing to do, both of us, and just waiting for them to get to us. And so a long conversation about his career, about Hollywood, about, you know, um, what you need to do, stepping stones again. I was just learning so much. Um, so that is obviously a highlight. Um, but same as Raiders is, the same as, you know, uh, Elephant Man working with David Lynch, all my TV stuff that I did in the UK, uh, working with some real, you know, British greats. Um, you know, another highlight, I mean, talking about British television, I did a television series here called Lytton's Diary. Um, and I was playing a character called uh, um, Dennis Rigby, um, who was the son of uh, a British gangster played by an actor called um, Derek Newark. Now, mm -hmm. Derek Newark was a heavyweight in the British film and television industry. And so there I am, mid-twenties, he's in his late fifties and I'm playing his son. And, you know, this was, even the director said to me, he said, look, you know, you, you're in with the heavyweights here, kid. You know, you're, are you gonna be okay? Can you handle it? These are, these guys are at the top of their tree in the UK, you know. Um, I said, yeah, I'll be fine. Because I had these films behind me. I had, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I had Empire Strikes Back and a few others behind me. So, yeah, I had the confidence to do this and knew what I needed to be needed to be done and knew that you could not afford to be nervous because, you know, you had to be confident. You knew what you had to do, get on with it, you do it. Um, Derek used to go off and, uh, I mean, this is a, this is a, a kind of strange connection um, you've heard of the movie Glengarry Glen Ross. Hopefully you've, you've, you've heard of it and seen it. Um, mm. Glengarry Glen Ross with, uh, you know, it's about a bunch of salesmen with um, Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon. I know the actors. I'll have to look up the movie. Yeah, the movie is, a, it's written by David Mamet. It's a mm -hmm. work of genius. Um, you must see it. It's for any anyone that's interested in movies and acting. Glengarry Glen Ross is a must-see film. Um, it's 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 a piece of genius on every level, writing, directing, and acting. However, Glengarry Glen Ross, its debut was at um, was at a theatre in London, um, and Derek. This was the first time anyone had ever seen. It was written as a stage play. They adapted the film years later from the stage play. Um, so every evening, uh, Derek Newark would go off to play um, Dave Moss in Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, years later, when I was about the same, I mean, Derek passed away some years ago, but years mm -hmm. later I was offered, you know, 
the role of Dave Moss in the stage play of Glengarry Glen Ross. It was a revival of Glengarry Glen Ross um, to, to do a short tour. Um, it's mainly shown in, in it, we, we did it in Brighton, which is where I live. And I was asked by, by a chap, uh, a theatre director that, that really wanted to do it. And he said, well, you know, would you do the read through? So I did the read through and he said, you know, I'd really like you to play Dave Moss. And uh, I said, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And after we'd done the play, when it finished its run, um, he said to me, you know, that so good. He said, you know, it, will, you, will you do another play for me? And I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing with the business. Um, I said, and I'll tell you the reason why I did, why I played Dave Moss in Glengarry Glen Ross. And I told him the story that I played Derek Newark's son in Lytton's Diary, and Derek Newark was the first actor in the world to play Dave Moss. And that's why I did it. For me, it was full circle. For me, this was full circle. And uh, I just hope that I did Derek justice in my performance. That was a beautiful tribute right there. And, uh, I hope so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I always ask these two questions to my, I call them my buddies who come on the show. On the show. Yeah. The first one is, if you could have our audience donate to one charity of your choice, what would it be? Mind, <clears throat> mind, I, M-I-N-D, uh, it's a UK charity and it's a mental health charity. Um, I'm a great believer in um, keeping people safe mentally. You know, we live in a tough world. Um, one in four people will suffer mental health problems at some, some point in their life. Mm. Um, now, I won't really go into the reasons as to why I'm an advocate for mind, um, but they are personal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, we've gone through this year with this COVID-19 pandemic. I think when we come out of this, the other side, the true, <clears throat> true stories of, of people's um, mental health. I, I think that there is a lot of, a lot of mental breakdowns going on at the moment mm -hmm. around the world, particularly in the West. Um, you know, we are susceptible to it in, in the UK, Europe and America. And I think when all this is done, the dust has settled on this, you know, I think that the stories of suicide, which is a depressing subjects and people having mental breakdowns will come to the fore. Um, so yes, uh, they say one in four, I'd say it's 50, 50, I'd say it's two in four now. Mm -hmm. Um, and it will get worse. Most um, definitely. So that, that, that's the charity that I would support, you know, mm. it really is. I mean, my own brother died, my younger brother died from cancer six weeks ago. Oh, um, sorry to hear yeah, that. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Uh, mm. We knew it was coming, but, you know, all, all the same. It's still your brother. It's still, it's still my brother and it happened suddenly. Well, he, we, we knew that it was coming, but I'd spoken to him a week yeah. before and then he, he, he actually died very, very suddenly. But a lot mm. of people say to me, well, maybe you should support cancer research, whatever cancer charities. It's like, no, no, I'm sticking with, I'm sticking with mind. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. so there you go. Yeah, it's ironic you say that. Someone that I just had on this show recently said the exact same charity and for very similar reasons to you, like how they believe in mental health, especially nowadays with 
this whole COVID going on. So yeah. definitely a yeah. great a great choice. And now and it's yeah. you know cancer is random. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's indiscriminate, um, and possibly we're probably all going to die of some sort of cancer in, in, in some you know in the future. Uh, mental health. It's about keeping yourself mentally fit, and uh, the, the film and television industry, showbiz in general, is rife with mental ill health for so many different reasons. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I'm the first one to stand up and say, "Look, with my career, you know, I never became a star. Uh, I didn't particularly want to be a star. Um, I was just happy to work." Now, you know, I know. I know people that have had to give up the business because they couldn't get jobs. I know people that have driven themselves halfway around the bend because they were so desperate um, to become a star or, you know, a a successful or working actor that it really played with them mentally. Now, um, yeah, I've had frustrating times in my time, you know, when the phone wasn't ringing, the jobs weren't coming in, et cetera, et cetera. I've I've had that, you know. but I've also been extremely lucky, and I know that, and I appreciate that um, uh, so far, you know. And that's why I'm kind of blase about things now. That the situa- I walked away from the business for 10 years. I, I did, I came back into the business for short films because I was asked, asked to. I met uh, a director at a convention, and they asked me if I would consider coming back. And I said, well, look, if you've got something interesting for me, then I'll give it a get. Yeah, why not? And uh, so they offered me a job and uh, a lead, lead role in a short film. And that's that's kind of having that's had really great returns. I actually got I actually got a, a best acting uh, a best actor award uh, for it. Um, so now I'm being offered other stuff, and I'm not sitting back on my laurels. But I'm 61 years of age. I've been there, seen it, done it. Um, I'm not chasing after this. I'm not chasing after roles. I'm not, I'm considering <clears throat> getting an agent. I'm considering going back into the business, but I'm not hungry for it. And I've been there before and I know what it's like. and I know how it works. So it's going to be on my terms. If it's not on my terms, then I don't do it. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, that's some, actually some great advice there, which leads into my next following, my final question, and I call this the ultimate buddy cast buddy question, Mm -hmm. which is if you had advice for people who wanted to become actors today, what would it be? The same advice as I got, don't do it. (laughs) Literally the same advice as I got, don't do it. You know, Um, before Empire, when I was, you know, out there doing a bit of amateur dramatics, a little bit of fringe theatre, I was, I was doing, you know, being coached. I never went to a formal drama school, um, but I was at a place called Goldsmiths College in, in South London, which has a great drama department, great reputation. And I was there at 19 years of age doing drama classes. And the principal there said to me, you know, if you can't get into RADA, there's no point in pursuing an acting career. Well, that's the worst advice anyone's ever given me or, or could ever give anybody else. If you're not accepted by you know, one of the biggest drama schools, then you shouldn't even try to be an actor. Stupid, stupid, stupid. And that man 
He's probably dead now and I hope he's turning in his grave because that was the worst advice anyone could give anyone. Bob Hoskins also said to me, you know, um, when I was getting work and uh, we laughed and joked about that. And he himself said, he said, you know what? Everyone told me not to do it. Don't get involved in this. And that would be my advice to any young actor. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to be tougher than you think. You're going to have to sacrifice so much of yourself and so much of your life to pursue this career. However, people go and do it anyway. So you will be told that. And I would say, don't fall at the first hurdle. If someone says to you, oh, don't do it, go ahead and do what you have to do. If you keep getting knocked back, knocked back, and knocked back, then you might have to look at what you're doing, reevaluate what you're doing, you know? And I've said, I've known actors that were doing okay and gave up the business because they came up against a brick wall. Well, it happens. It really does happen. So, yeah, I'm joking when I say don't do it, but also I'm being serious as well. Really think seriously about it. This is your <laughs> life on the line. This is your, not only your peace of mind, your mental health, this is also your relationships. This is also lack of money because, you know, no one goes into the film business to make money unless you're a producer. You go into the film business, theater, TV, whatever it is, because you have this drive, this drive inside of you. It's like, it's like something inside of you that you have to fulfill. You have to do it. And until you've tried it, you'll never know. Um, so, you know, I'd say no, but you can, I'd say don't do it, but I know you're going to do it anyway. But just consider the cost on yourself and those around you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's such a difficult one. It really, really is. But what I would say is learn your craft. Learn your craft. You might be the most handsome man in the world. You might be the most beautiful woman in the world. You might be 19, 20 years of age. And you think, right, I'll go into the business. And because I'm so beautiful, I'll become a star. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Let's look at all the greats. Let's look at all the greats. Let's look at the Cary Grants. Let's look at the Marilyn Monroes. They could all act. They've learned their craft. And that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what you look like. Bob Hoskins said to me, he said, Al, old son, he said, whatever you look like, you're going to be typecast. He said, me, what do they cast me as? You know, window cleaner, villain, milkman, you know, that sort of thing. He said, they are going to, they are going to look at you and say, this is what he looks like. This is what we'll cast him as. My advice to be is once you've identified what they're more likely to cast you as, become the best damn milkman, best damn window cleaner, best damn bank robber that you can. Or it could be, you know, the best, best damn, if you look like a bank manager, they're going to cast you as a bank manager. So you play the best bank manager better than anybody else. And they will keep casting you until they realize that you can actually play other roles as well, which is what happened with Bob Hoskins. You know, he never saw himself playing Al Capone. You know, well, he, he was up for Al Capone, but, you know, he, he, he uh, if you take films like The Long Good Friday, Mona Lisa, uh, even played Khrushchev in Enemy at the Gate. 
Now, he couldn't see him. You know, in the beginning, he didn't think that was going to happen. He thought he was going to be stuck being the small-time actor, you know, being the window cleaner. All right, governor, all the rest of it. But he proved himself. And it's those stepping stones. The more you prove yourself, the more you learn your craft, the, le the more you became someone's first choice, better stuff will come along. But it's a long process. So, yeah, if you're the most beautiful person physically, facially on the planet, and you think, oh, yeah, you know, um, they'll make me a star. No, they won't. They won't make you a star. Not unless you learn your craft. So you go off and you learn your craft. So when you walk in that room, yeah, I'll tell you, a, a television director said to me, well, I asked a director once, what's, what's the casting process? How do you cast people? And he said, well, look, I've got a script. You know, I've got a script and I'm looking at the characters and I have a, I have a, a picture for each character. A picture comes into my mind of what that character should look like. Okay. So, bank manager, you know, 45 years of age. So, immediately in my mind, it's a male, probably could be a female, but, you know, okay, if it's the character that requires it's a male, 45 years of age, six foot tall, wearing a suit, that's what the picture I've got in my mind. When that door opens and that person that is closest to the picture in my mind walks in the room, straight away they've got the job. My next thought is, please God, that they can act. And if they can act, if they can do a reading for me, they have definitely got the job. If they look the part, but they can't act, they don't get the job. It's as simple as that. You don't cast people for how they look. You cast them with whether they can act or not, you know? Yeah. But it's a combination of both. So, you know, that's my advice, really. <laughs> if you're not going to be deterred, is learn to bloody well act. That's it. And all the little techniques. So do your dinner theatre. Do your amateur dramatics. Go to your drama classes. Learn the bloody craft. Learn it. And then when you set foot in front of a casting director or you're working in something, I mean, from letters from a bomber pilot, I got so many roles, TV roles, off the back of that. You know, I, I was, my phone, myself, Hugh Laurie, and some of the other cast members were all, um, you know, the, the documentary won awards when it was first aired. The following day, in the tabloid newspapers, the TV critics were seeing the, the, the praises of the show. We all got mentioned. Okay. <clears throat> my phone rang off the hook. My agent said to me, you know, so many people want to see you now. So, you know, I've got this casting for you at the BBC tomorrow. Um, David Bell was one of the top directors at the BBC in those days. He wants to see you. He met me at the lift, fifth floor, whatever, the BBC television centre. You know, he's waiting for, for me at the lift. I've come out, shook hands, introduced each other. He said, yeah, I know who you are, Alan. Look, he said, come to my office. He said, sat down. He said, look, here's the script. Um, I'm not even going to ask you to read from it. I said, well, you're joking. I said, well, obviously, you know, I've got to read from it. No, no. I watched Letters from a Bomber Pilot the other night. thought you were brilliant. It moved me to tears. Um, that was your casting. Here's the script. Do you want the job? 
I said, yeah, of course I want the job. Okay, here's the script. Go off. Learn your part. I'll see you on the first day of rehearsals. That happened to me several times after that. That is called serendipity. It's not, it could be the law of attraction in many ways, but it's definitely serendipity. But basically it's down to learn your craft. Learn to do this job. Someone will see you in something and they'll cast you on the strength of it. Or when they call you up to a casting, you'll pitch up there, you've already got the role. They just want to meet you, okay? But if you don't learn your craft, that won't happen. Learn mm -hmm. to act. Learn your craft. That was beautiful advice. Alrighty. On that note, thank you so much for being on the show. I certainly learned a lot. And um glad I got to meet someone from both Star Wars and Indiana Jones. That's truly spectacular. Thank you for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. And anything else you want to say? Anything else you... Well, just to say thank you very much for asking me on. I thoroughly mm -hmm. enjoyed Um I never tire of talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> As Marlon Brando once said... <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're if you're talking to an actor and you're not talking about him, he ain't listening. <laughs> That's that. But so I enjoy talking about myself, of course I do. I enjoy talking about movies, I enjoy talking about my, my history. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's it's it, and I just consider myself to be a very, very lucky man to be that you know, after all these years, people are still interested. So, mm -hmm. you know, but so thank you very much for asking me on. I hope that Most definitely enjoyed it. Um, Most definitely. You know, I hope mm -hmm. we kept it going. But um, mm -hmm. well, just thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you again for being on the show. It was an honor to have you. For all my buddies who are listening, thank you for tuning in. As I always end my shows, I tell everyone, do me one solid favor. Go be someone's buddy today. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Hey. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. All righty. We'll catch you all here next time on BuddyCast. Have a great day, my buddies.